0: Redo, the wellness base camp hits your hometown of Adelaide this weekend Oh, I'm so pumped MP the Brisbane base camp was a sellout and the feedback was inspiring Christine said keep up the incredible work and energy you made me feel so so good Kira said I loved all the speakers and the vibe in the room and there were so many aha moments and Lauren said no matter how many times I hear each of these people speak I learn new things and always have action steps to take away Oh, how inspiring is that, MP? It's great to see this event making a real shift in people's lives, Bretto. so jump on board for Adelaide folks, Kim Morrison, Damien Christophe, JP and Andy from Smashed Avocado, myself and the hometown hero, Brett Hill. Oh, MP, The Wellness Base Camp, Saturday, April 7th at the Arca Bar in Adelaide. Two-for-one tickets available with the code COUNTDOWN at thewellnessbasecamp.com on Eventbrite or search for The Wellness Base Camp Adelaide on Facebook. The code again is
1: countdown. With the tickets available at thewondersbasecamp.com on Eventbrite, or by typing Basecamp Adelaide on Facebook. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Damien Kristoff and Dr. Brett Hill.
2: Hey, Breno. Yes, Damien? Hey, uh, I'm going to go to Ikaria again. And uh, and Marcus is going as well. And we're going to take 20 people with us to Ikaria to learn more about longevity. If any of our listeners would love to come along to Ikaria with us, then just go to 100notout.com.au, I think it is, and uh, and check us out. See if it's for you, see if you'd like to come with us, because this episode is brought to you by the 100 Not Out
1: Longevity Tour.
2: Hi, this is Damien Christoph. And this is Brett Hill. Brett, yeah. you and I are doing a chat together today.
1: I know we don't get to do it often enough
2: nowadays, do we? Nah, there's too many other important things to talk about with other important people. And uh, but I thought that you and I could chat about some very important things that are going on in the world of health at the
1: moment. And I think you agreed. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very important. We're going to talk about pain today, Damo, particularly some of the medications that are being used for pain and some of the changing rules around those, but also just around what pain is and why your body does pain and mm. how to go about managing pain. We're going to talk about all those sort of things today, which would be great. Yeah, I know. Well, this came up because uh,
2: somebody asked us to do a podcast on pain. Uh, we'll actually do a podcast on codeine. And obviously, with codeine being withdrawn from sale uh, for over-the-counter um, use, Uh, That's created some alarm for some people, some concern for some people, and, you know, a little bit of anxiety because people are unsure now why that's happened and what else they can do. Now,
1: obviously, our listeners... And also, I reckon it's created some ahas for other people where people have sort of gone, hang on, you mean that wasn't safe like as in yeah. why have we moved it from being over the counter they're like well hang on but that was available over the counter for such a long period of time in the like local what changed the code didn't change yeah. so what changed to now all of a sudden say it was gone from being safe to being less safe um it wasn't the medication that changed but just our understanding around it which i think has led a lot of other people to start thinking well what else? Like, what else have I been told is safe that might not be as safe as has been previously thought? Oh, we could dig deep on this podcast, Brett, eh? Yeah. Oof, we could get
2: really deep on this one. But just think about this for a second. You know, if you've ever tasted something sweet. Have you ever tasted something sweet, Brett? Eh?
1: Oh, all the time, Damo. I made some uh, I made some lovely nut balls last night had a bit of honey in them. And, you know, as you do when you're mixing the recipe yes. and there's honey on the spoon, you yes. can't just... Put the honey back in. Yeah, you can't just put the spoon in the sink. you got to eat it. Marcus
2: Pierce right? wouldn't. Marcus got would to lick the spoon and then put it back in the honey <laughs> and then lick it again. That's what Marcus Pierce would do. I could tell you all about a story about well, that with coconut oil. Actually, I bought I some have coconut heard, oil. For I you.
1: have heard this coconut oil story, I think, Damo, <laughs> but I, I didn't lick it and then put it back in. In fact, I didn't well even lick it and then use it for the next recipe I was making. I licked it and then put it into the sink to be washed. Right. Oh, I was well good.
2: Done. Good boy. Well, I bought some coconut oil from Marcus Pierce the other day. I opened the lid. I've taken a scoop out with my fingers.
1: When you I'll, say the other day, like this was at least 12 months ago and you're still hanging on to it. I'm never letting it go. <laughs> 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 I,
2: bought, I bought this coconut oil. I've stuck my fingers into it. I've taken a chunk out so it's got fingerprints through it. put the lid back on. I've sent it up to Byron Bay so that he can get a thing of coconut oil with a scoop missing with my fingers pause all the way through
1: it. <laughs> and big, he's not going to be... You know what? He's going to open it up and be like, it. oh, Damo, that's great. That's coconut great. oil. Thanks, awesome. mate. That's so nice of you. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Anyway, it's
2: a nice little gift I've got for Peasy. <laughs> but you know what? you got that little taste of sweetness. We'll go back. Get back on track, Damo. You have that little taste of sweetness and you want more. And so you go for a little bit more sweetness and maybe... Without discipline, You could go to the next level of sweetness, and that could be sugar. Um, and then maybe you could go from the next level of sweetness from that, which could be a block of chocolate. And then maybe you could go for the next level of sweetness, which could be soft drink and all the other bits and pieces. And so people go out of control as their body sort of gets used to what it used to get beforehand, if that makes sense. And this is the hungry. problem with codeine codeine is part of the opioid family and when you start with this a little bit of codeine maybe you might get constipated you go oh, i got constipated because i took codeine <laughs> that's funny that's a side effect well it's actually an effect but you just call it a side effect because it's not the effect that you wanted it to have but it's uh, it has the effect of dampening down central nervous system activity in fact sympathetic nervous system activity um, and you know that's what opioids do you know if you're smoking poppies then that's what would happen. So the next level of opioid addiction would be from codeine. You'd go up the tree. You'd continue to go up in dose, or you might use something else with another analgesic. So it could have been codeine combined with paracetamol or maybe codeine at um, mega strengths. Um, and then it keeps going up to then eventually become morphine. Um, and then there's the addiction to morphine. And then the challenge with that was that the only way, the only direction you could go then was to do, total um total nerve blocks where um it's almost what's what's lyrica what's the class of drug for lyrica i can't totally recall what that is but that essentially just numbs the whole of the nervous system and then there's addiction to that and then the problem was that people were going on to then have suicidal tendencies suicidal thoughts with toxicity and so there was hospitalizations associated with Um, opioid addiction and then hospitalizations and tragedy um, associated with addiction to uh, mind-altering drugs that in many cases needed to be used because people were in trouble and in lots of pain, but they had massive effects that were unwarranted, not the ones that you wanted to have, so they were known as side effects, but that then meant that people were addicted to medications and they felt that if they decreased the use of these very dangerous drugs, if they took them off Uh, the counter, in other words, you couldn't buy them over the counter, and they made them only available through prescription, that would assist in the reduction of opioid addiction in Australia, and it appears to be working, which is great. It
1: it is great, because this issue of prescription drugs is a really big deal in Australia and around the world. You know, there are, you would see this in practice, Damo. I certainly see this in practice. People who have gone down this road and have found themselves very addicted to these prescription medications and yeah. finding it very hard to get back out again. Yeah. And uh, and it's really very, very difficult. Um, and, and often, you know, uh, it's quite stigmatized in society as well, I think, where people sort of get looked down upon for having this uh, addiction to these prescription medications because people assume that, uh, you know, they've done it, I don't know, people seem to have this idea that maybe they were, they were weak and then they went and took these medications because they were, um, you know, not, Disciplined enough or not, um, you know, not resistant enough without really understanding the effects that these medications have on the body and on the neurology and on the brain and and just how difficult it is to actually remove yourself from it once you've got yourself so far down the trap. So I think it is a really important topic to to talk about. And I think it's also important to understand then that, you know, if these medications are now not available over the counter, what does that mean in terms of people's behaviours? You know, does that mean that people are just then going to the doctor and still ending up with the same medication? Uh, Or does it mean that they're not able to take this medication so they're just shoveling across to a different medication that may well have just as many side effects or does it mean that people are now starting to look for alternative approaches of how they might be able to deal with their pain without having to go necessarily down the pharmacological route And, and as you said we obviously understand that there are some circumstances whether it's surgeries or major traumas or things like that where that pharmaceutical route is Absolutely necessary, uh, but also understanding that for some things there may be other ways you can go that may well be um, less problematic for your body. Hundred
2: percent, hundred percent. So why don't we just first understand what pain is, Brett? Because I think it's an important thing to kind of understand. Now we okay. often talk about the somatic nervous system versus the autonomic nervous system, and the autonomic nervous system is the part of the nervous system that governs function within the body, and the brain governs this function and All function of every single organ in the body is controlled by the brain. It's very important to understand that. The heart beats all by itself. You breathe. Kidneys work all by itself. That's kind of what you think, but the brain coordinates all of that function. So it's very important to maintain the health of the spine and the spinal cord because that's important. That's autonomic function. And autonomic function doesn't include the presence of signals that would indicate pain. That's separate to autonomic function. Autonomic function governs information that's both afferent and efferent, so to and from the brain, that allows proper regulation of the function of the body. So that could be um, your heart rate, it could be stress hormones, it could be... Um, digestive secretions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Circulation, circulation. all those sort of things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Hair growth for some people. And uh, <laughs> so I to say for. Beard right? growth. Beard growth for others. That's right. So that's autonomic function. That's by majority, by a huge majority, the most significant component of the nervous system. Around 80% of your nervous system um, is, governs um, autonomic function. Huge amount huge amount the somatic nervous system is a much um, much smaller component of the nervous system but the somatic nervous system is something that we're very aware of the somatic nervous system governs the way in which we move our body so um, you know our movement so the ability to clench a fist or to scratch our head or to feel an itch um, or to regulate or feel temperature Um, to taste something all of that's part of the somatic nervous system and albeit there's lots and lots of signals that go into our body at any point in time the somatic nervous system's thought to be around about 20 percent of the total um, nerve activity of our
1: body you're so good at maths (laughs) must be your accountancy background
2: two and a half years of first year accounting gets you a long way bretto let me just tell you that so i so when you do that math and you work out that only 20% of your nervous system activity you're actually aware of, you kind of go, wow, that's that's not really a whole lot. But then you break that down even further and you look at the different functions of the somatic nervous system. And you go into the somatosensory component of the nervous system. We look at just one small part of the somatosensory um, nervous system, and that is uh, nociception. And we understand that nociception is about of that 20%, in other words, about 2%-ish of your whole nervous system is actually nociception. Now, Bretto, I'll ask you the question, what do you think nociception is?
1: Pain demo is what people will say nociception is.
2: That's right. Well, it's interesting because nociception is in fact a signal that races up the spinal cord to the brain. The brain regulates that information. It translates that information and it works out whether or not it's important to do anything about So it kind of goes, oh, that's interesting, oh, that's interesting, oh, that's interesting, oh, that's interesting, about a billion times before it kind of goes, oh, my gosh, this is actually significant, and it registers pain. And so then it tells you in your brain where that pain is, and you might perceive the feeling of that pain where there's a cut, or where you're standing on a nail, or where you've um, been stung by a bee. Your brain's so specific that it can work out where that pain is because of the feedback and feed forward of information afferent and efferent messages running along the nociception pathways in the body. Now, the specificity to which the body does this or the brain does this is totally dependent on the the, the clarity of the communication. Now, we can go down a chiropractic route here and discuss all of this, but I'm not skilled enough to discuss all of this. We probably should get a chiro-neurologist on one day, Brett, mm. over to talk about
1: this. He- Heidi Horvick-Taylor would oh, be the one to get on and talk about yeah. this. She loves talking about this stuff and Wouldn't talking about phantom pains and talking about all sorts of uh, yeah different aspects of how the neuroplasticity can allow these pain signals or these nociceptive signals to get fired even when there isn't a pain generator present, which is fascinating.
2: Isn't it? It's so amazing. And, you know, I, I've got some great stories about that too. And we'll, Actually, we'll get Heidi on. We'll get Heidi on have a good chat with her. I think that would be really good. Or even Kelly Holt or both of them, that would be good fun. Um, so that nociceptive um, feedback to the brain, then dec- the brain then decides on whether or not it's significant. So that could be caused by uh, heat, could be too much heat. It could be too much cold. It could be uh, damage to tissues. It could be caused by inflammation. Um, it could be caused by irritation. It might be caused by um, a crack in the skin. Um, it could be caused by pe- poisons or toxins or whatever else. But that information is translated by the brain for you then to decide whether or not that's pain. So, you know, when some people say, oh, I've got high pain tolerance, it basically mm. means that their brain can understand that nociception... Isn't that in, you know, isn't that important? It's there, but they can kind of go, oh, look, that's just a signal. I don't really need to worry about it. Where there's other people with a really low pain threshold and a little bit of nociception really confuses their brain and sends them into a bit mm. of a spin and they kind of go, oh, my gosh, I've got so much pain. And, and even that language that I used then, I've got so much pain, is probably incorrect because really what it is is I'm perceiving so much nociception. It's not really that I'm, I've got pain um, because when when you own it, when you own that pain, um, you're actually owning that signal. And the challenge is then that it's very difficult to reinterpret that signal. So part of pain management is understanding what the signal actually means. It's like kind of, you know It's very confusing. So the way in which medications have worked in the past to get on top of pain through analgesia, um, such as codeine or paracetamol, um, or morphine and, and above and other derivatives, and even to the extent that we've got these other medications that are very very strong, like Lyrica. Um, what's the drug name for Lyrica? I can't.
1: Oh, I had it up just a second ago, Damon. Now I can't remember what it was. But, pre, there, but pre, there are pre, pregabalin, pregabalin, pregabalin. I, I had I'll find. Pregabalin. I'll find it again for you. That that sounds right. I think that's what it was.
2: Yeah, so not not that I want to like use a brand name because that's not my intention. It's just an awareness of what this actually is. So when you numb the nervous system, then the nociception is decreased. Is decreased, and so the awareness of nociception, but the awareness of all somatosensory components are affected so your ability to control movement your ability to find yourself in space which is proprioception um, your ability to do so many things and even just interpret the environment into the things that you're hearing things that you're seeing all of that's altered by using this, uh, these medications. So you're not just targeting pain like some advertisements would actually have you believe.
1: <laughs> <affecting> <laughs> Those advertisements that have been removed that aren't allowed to be played anymore, is yeah. it the ones you're talking about?
2: Well, it's interesting because I thought they weren't, but I saw it the other day. Someone said you can rub it on there at the site of pain and it targets the site of pain, you know, mm. which I it found bad. really fascinating because I thought that that was illegal to say these days because it's not true. Um but no, I found that really uh, interesting. Yeah, it just is finding
1: very- ways around it. But it's a good point you make, Damo, because really, when you start thinking about the, the intricacies of the human body and these chemical reactions that are happening every single day all over your body, you know, millions and millions of times a day, probably trillions of times a day, you realize that, that you know, a... a a medication like that, it is such a blunt tool to use for what is such a complex, complicated system and, and that it does have, you know, what they call side effects, but as you said, effects on so many other aspects of this system within your body because it is just so Complicated. It's not just A plus B equals C. You know, there there are so many different facets and aspects to it. You know, I remember uh, a talk from uh, Bruce Lipton, who we've had on the show before, who's just amazing, and and he showed it as a, a graphical example of this very very complex machine of of how you know just one little input into one spot can just have a ripple effect right throughout the body. And I, I think it is important that we understand that you know whilst these medications have a time and a place, they are a a very blunt tool to get the job done, and they do have a huge number of effects right throughout the body.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So let's think about some of the things that might cause pain. One of the things that we often hear about is inflammation. So inflammation is a normal physiological effect by the body. It's a clever thing that the body actually does and performs to try and uh, bring about um, little chemicals um, and little, yeah. um, little uh, particles to heal tissues. Yeah. So the inflammatory response is a really important response. However, long-term chronic inflammation creates a lot of damage and, um, and dysfunction. So through reduction in range of motion or the inability of tissue to continue to heal. Um, and so long-term chronic inflammation is not a good thing. Short-term acute inflammation is quite important, although it needs to be stemmed to some extent. So that's why we might use heat or ice to kind of stem um, some parts of the inflammatory pathway. But these inflammatory pathways go through many different chemical, um, let's say it's a cascade of chemical reactions that eventually leads to the point where you might actually feel inflammation. There might be limited range of motion for a period of time and then it becomes painful. Um, and so that, that inflammation can be stemmed through uh, temperature control, but it could also be stemmed through certain types of medications. The problem is, is that some of these medications, because it's a systemic effect and you're blocking um, certain processes in this chemical cascade that leads to inflammation, some of these processes are also involved in tissue healing in the gastrointestinal system. So if we block the process of inflammation at a certain level, so let's say, for example, a cyclooxygenase inhibitor, like a COX-2 inhibitor, um, such as Celebrex, for example, which has been taken off the market and then back on the market again in Australia. Um, we've there was a lot of research that said that Celebrex um, contributed to heart attack and um, the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. And so it was taken off the market in Australia. It's been subsequently brought back onto the market for. A other uses,
1: I, I presume. I, I can't I didn't, imagine. I didn't actually realise had been brought back onto the market, Damo. Yeah, I'm mate. shocked.
2: It's, it's back on. Yeah, that somehow got back onto the market. Um, and then we've got other things like ibuprofen. Ibuprofen is a chemical that's used in um, different anti-inflammatory combinations that you can now uh, that you can now find mixed with uh, paracetamol, so you get an analgesic effect, which is a nerve numbing effect, analgesia, um, and an anti-inflammatory effect with uh, the the drug ibuprofen and uh, so you get an anti-inflammatory and an analgesic effect and so that in itself can be you know very very rapid in terms of the pain relief and pain reduction the inflammation reduction however um, what we do know about paracetamol is that it's very very dangerous it's, it's a drug that's easily overdosed on um, and if see, I suppose if you stick to the recommended doses on the on the box that's been recommended by the manufacturer it should be safer mm. but most of the time people take double the dose of what it's you know it says or quadruple the dose because they've heard a friend of theirs did that and that was fine for them
1: people um, always wear it as a badge of honor sometimes yeah, don't
2: they oh i took 4 yesterday or i took 8 yesterday that's how bad my migraine was and uh, it's kind of a measure of how bad things are but um I, you know th- there's a lot of danger in taking paracetamol because it causes liver toxicity and we know that in Australia the most commonly overdosed pharmaceutical drug in Australia, with children, admittance to the emergency room is paracetamol, baby paracetamol, mm. and uh, and that's a huge concern because parents think that they're doing the right thing by the kids. Um, they give them this particular drug. It is a very dangerous drug if it's taken outside of context or if it's given too frequently, like in the management of you know simple little things like a small. Um, a a tiny little temperature rise um, a fever Um, you know something that doesn't need pharmaceutical intervention where it's given can actually cause damage and you've got to be really careful of that and I'm being really careful with the language that I'm using here because I don't want to say that you can't use it because that's not my intention is that I'm trying to raise awareness so
1: And I think the other thing you've got to be aware of as well Damien is is whether or not you're actually dealing with the the underlying problem because because another danger of removing the pain and removing the inflammation might be that you delay the rate at which you get some help for the actual problem that's causing the pain and the inflammation in the first place. Yeah, and point. so it, it's really important to understand that the, the pain is a symptom of a problem. You know, the inflammation is a symptom of a problem. There's an underlying problem somewhere and it's not a, you know, a pain reliever deficiency. It, it's not a anti-inflammatory deficiency. There, there's actually something going on underneath all of that that we really need to spend the time to figure out what it actually is because if we don't, it's going to come back to bite us later on
2: yeah that's a hundred percent correct. great call there, Breto, and really you know great little warning there is if you're doing medication for too long, particularly self prescribing, you could in fact be missing the cause, and that could be very, very important to get on top of. So you go see a health professional to try and work that out. very important, great call Braddo. Um, but so let's go into inflammation, for example, because inflammation, as we mentioned before, can you can stem it, but if you do stem it using pharmaceutical intervention. Because of the nature of pharmaceutical invention, it has a blocking effect on other functions within the body. Um, You will block the ability of the gastrointestinal system to heal, and you can cause ulcers. Now, this is a common effect of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug use. Mm. It's not a side effect. When you use the word side effect, you think it's accidental. It's not accidental, but it's not on purpose. It's just one of those things that happens as a result of taking this particular intervention. It's just, it is. It just is. That's just what happens. So you can't say, well, I accidentally got an ulcer from taking this because it wasn't meant to happen. It is meant to happen. It's just Mm -hmm. not the ideal thing to have happen. So
1: it's, it's a very known risk and considered to be an acceptable risk. But but I find often with people taking the medications, they're not necessarily always making an informed choice about that. I don't know about you, Damo, but I see a lot of people who aren't necessarily aware of what the side effects or, the as we said, the effects of the medication they're taking is. Mm. And so I think that's often why they're surprised when these effects start to happen, is that, that whilst someone else has made the decision that, the pros outweigh the cons in terms of whatever the particular medication they have, the individual hasn't necessarily taken the time to weigh up and to see what are the effects, what are the side effects and, and am I willing to Put up with those side effects in order to get the effects that i mean being promised. Uh, I think it's really important for people to to be informed around that. To you know, most of the time it is is written right there on the packet, and and if not, it's very easily searchable to find out what the effects and side effects of these medications are. Yeah. And I think it's the, really the onus is on the individual to take the time to in- educate themselves because it won't necessarily always all be presented to you to find out well what are the effects and what are the side effects, and am I willing to take that risk? And not I guess delegate that choice to someone else
2: yeah that's a great call it's a great call so the other approach, I suppose, uh, from a pharmaceutical perspective in the regulation of inflammation in the body is to use steroids now the long term use of steroids has an impact on um, various growth hormones in the body, uh, in particular the growth hormone insulin and um, insulin like growth hormone and and those and and there's other hormones too that um, cortisone or It is really cortisone that we use. You're talking about or prednisone. Um, They that has an effect on the blocking of those hormones and their effect on the body. So that long term can cause uh, bone issues. Uh, it can also cause uh, situations where you become insulin resistant, uh, which is known as metabolic syndrome. And so that's a precursor to diabetes, type 2 diabetes. And so most GPs, most specialists don't like to use cortisone for long periods of time or yeah. any kind of steroid medication for long periods of time, because when you start to play with hormones, you're really starting to mess with the body. So they're sort of your last port of call. But many people go, oh, I'll just take some prednisone or I'll use a preventer of prednisone or whatever it is or cortisone and and that long-term use of those steroid-based medications has significant implication for the health of the body so you kind of go well if i can't use steroids and i can't use non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and and analgesia is 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 really just blocking the whole of my nervous system and it's not really you know, fixing the problem it could be masking significant problems, and I don't want to become addicted to these other things. You kind of throw your hands up in the air and go, well, what is there left then, Bruno? And that's, that's, I suppose, what we can talk about for the last probably two or three minutes of this podcast. What do you
1: reckon? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, as you said, what's left, I think, is to figure out what the underlying cause of the problem is. Because, you know, for so many people, you know, you said doctors don't like to put people on these steroids long term, and yet. Many people do end up on these steroids for longer than would be ideal. Mm. Um, And so, and I I think that once again, the result, the cause of that is the fact that at the same time, we're not addressing the underlying cause. You know, I think if if you get to the stage where you need to go down that pharmaceutical route, then by all means do it. But at the same time, go and consult with some practitioners who might be able to help you identify the cause and, and look at whether it's your, you know, it could be. Musculoskeletal, it could be dietary, it could be nutritional, it could be stress within your body, it could be sleep, it could be a whole raft of things that are causing your body to have more inflammation than it should. And so, figuring out what that is and going and seeing your local chiropractor, going and seeing your naturopath, going and seeing experts who can help you identify what the underlying issue is, I think is really crucial. You know, even if you are doing the pharmaceuticals to tie you over in the meantime, you've got to at least make that effort to address the underlying cause rather than just hoping that if you mask it for long enough that it might just go away
2: again another great point Breto. you're good at this thing you're really good at this <laughs> thing the other thing is uh to keep in mind is that yes there's going to be different causes for pain so is it gastrointestinal pain is it joint pain is it sinus pain whatever so some people have taken um you know pharmaceutical interventions that are branded according to where the side of the pain is so for mm. example paracetamol osteo or paracetamol I don't know rapid or paracetamol anus or paracetamol <laughs> tinnitus or whatever you know at the end of the day it's not true like it, it's they those medications have been um, been told to be become to be taken off the market as well because that branding is false it's not that that just works on that particular pain, it works across the board. So try to work out where the dysfunction is. Just keep in mind too, that the standard medical approach to many things is very mechanistic in that it believes that um, the the individual parts of the body um, are generally unrelated to other individual parts. So there's a very, very big gap in the thinking of mainstream medicine Uh, between the health of, say, the gastrointestinal system and the health of the nervous system. So, for example, they still haven't quite got the hang of the concept of stress causing irritable bowel syndrome. They're getting there, but they never even believed that irritable bowel syndrome existed. And they never, ever acknowledged that leaky gut really existed until they could prove it but these concepts have been there for a long long time 20 30 40 years and it's only now that science is catching up with it so even though they like to talk about evidence-based medicine we like to include evidence-based but we like to be evidence informed as well so when we talk about evidence informed we're taking into consideration other people's clinical experience and our own clinical experience in actually helping people understand what's going on so let's say for example you've got some gastrointestinal dysfunction and it's causing you some pain i would say that it's better to try and identify the cause of the gastrointestinal dysfunction than to take aspirin or paracetamol or anti-inflammatory drugs to just curb that pain wouldn't you agree Brett?
1: yeah absolutely damo and i guess before we finish there's another topic i want you to talk about for a little bit as well damo and that Mm -hmm. is the fact that i guess sometimes people will go down this route and they will try and identify what the source of their pain is, and it might not be as clear-cut as you think. You know, They're trying to find out what's causing, for example, this inflammation in their gut, and they're trying different options and trying to figure out what it is, but they haven't quite got there yet. Mm. And in the meantime, they might want to do something to help manage that inflammation, yet they don't want to go down the pharmaceutical route. And so they want to come to someone like you, Damien, and say, what else can I do to help manage pain and inflammation without having to go down the pharmaceutical route? Yeah, well, that's
2: that's a good point. And there's, you know, many naturopaths out there that are very skilled and chiropractors and osteopaths that are very skilled out there that, you know, do use the prescription of herbal medicines and homeopathic, you know, um, interventions to assist. And so some of the herbal medicines that can assist would include things like turmeric or boswellia. Um, Ginger can be hugely beneficial for some people, um, but they might not be the right thing for you to use based on what's actually going on with you. So my caution here is that just because I've said that turmeric may decrease inflammation doesn't necessarily mean that that might be the cure-all for your pain. And in fact, it's not because you've got a deficiency in turmeric that you've got the pain it's because you've got something going on with your body, but turmeric might actually work as an anti-inflammatory for you. That in itself, because it's natural, might be safer for you than taking a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, but it's still not addressing the cause of the pain. You've still got to find the cause of the pain, which is very, very important. The other thing to keep in mind too is that there's some nutritional interventions. So if you're getting muscle pain, for example, what you might find beneficial is some magnesium, but it may not be that magnesium in the form of say, Stearate or oxalate or oxide is is the best way to go. You might find that it's a a. A, bit, a glycinated form or an amino acid chelated form that's going to be best for you. And again, getting some advice is, is a really good thing to, to do, whether you see integrated GP or you see your natural healthcare practitioner to guide you in the selection of the right nutrients and minerals. Because it could also be a calcium excess or a calcium deficiency that's causing cramping in your body as well. So it's not just simple. You can't just rock in and speak to someone at your local pharmacy or a health food store who's had no training to get guidance on what's most appropriate for you, it could they could get it wrong. So go and seek the health of a professional in that regard.
1: Nice one, Damo. You're on fire, mate. I'll return all those wonderful compliments you gave me during this episode and say that uh, you're a wealth of knowledge, Damo. Love it. <laughs> Thanks, BrettO.
2: Hey, BrettO. Um, this
1: has been quite a good chat. Yeah, good one, mate. Important I- topic.
2: I've enjoyed listening to myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> We'll we'll even it up later. I think we need to have a little conversation where you can just keep on talking and ranting. We might do that. (laughs) Hey, Bretto, thanks for the chat today and uh, I look forward to chatting further about more things in the future. Thanks, Damo.